0: Emilia Zivotovskaya is the founder of the Flourishing Center in New York City. She is the creator of the acclaimed Certification in Applied Positive Psychology, a.k.a. the CAP program, that has trained over 1,400 practitioners across 38 countries. She is a master certified coach from the International Coaching Federation and calls herself a Preneur. You'll find out why on today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, so I am joined today with Amelia. Amelia, it's so nice to see you.
1: Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my my privilege, my pleasure to have you here. Um, Just so everyone knows who doesn't know, you are um, an amazing, amazing woman who runs the Flourishing Center in New York City, and you train coaches, and you train in- people in in a certificate program for positive psychology. I mean, you do lots of stuff. Um, And so it's really thrilling for me to have you here because if anybody knows like essential coaching skills, it's you. And so I just want to, you know, mine this. Mine, that's redundant, but I want to get it. You can mine me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about this. What what does this mean? Did you create the terms um, positive psychology programs? Did you create that?
1: Oh, no, far, far from it. It's actually its own psychological field that started in 1998. Uh, Dr. Martin Seligman, who is a famous uh, cognitive psychologist, known for his theories on learned helplessness and learned optimism. Sure. He started the field in 1998 when he was president of the American Psychological Association and basically pulled a, a call to action for psychologists all over the world. And he said that psychology has done a really good job at identifying and treating dis-ease and dysfunction. And it was just previously kind of assumed that if you had a person who was anxious or depressed or struggling and they were in the quote unquote negative in their life, if you treated them, if you got them back to baseline, your work as a psychologist would be done. The person would then be functioning and normal and happy and back to, back to being their best possible self. And what we now know is that mental health and mental illness are not opposites of each other. So just because you're not struggling with a mental illness doesn't necessarily mean that you have the skills and capacity for mental health. And so he invited psychologists to say, what if we started to treat these two things as not opposites and actually ask the question from a scientific perspective, what does it take for people to go north of neutral into the positive? So rather than just getting people out of the negative to zero, how do we get them into plus one, plus two, plus 10 into the positive? So he said, we need to study things like positive emotions. We spend time studying negative emotions. Why not study positive emotions? What good are they? What impact do they make? Let's study gratitude. Let's study hope. Let's study purpose and meaning. Let's study character strengths and prayer and engagement and all of these things that we suspect leads to a more meaningful life. But from a scientific perspective, we didn't have a lot of evidence about it, didn't have a lot of understanding about it. And so that field was started and I came to be involved in that field in 2006. I did a master's degree in positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. I was part of their second graduating class at the time and got to be one of the first hundred people in the world to graduate with a degree in positive psychology. Got to work for the University of Pennsylvania as one of their resilience trainers and started to focus primarily on, I, I knew coming into this field, I wanted to be a life coach and i went right into my master's degree from my undergrad and so while i knew i wanted to be a motivational speaker i wanted to help people live healthier happier more fulfilled lives i you know thought who's going to take a 21 year old life coach seriously i must need some science underneath my belt to help people really you know take me seriously or what what i have to say even though at the time i to be honest, I, I was helping people. I kind of knew that I had a natural way of supporting people and was was already doing it. I really wanted to understand more. So I call myself a preneur because I'm a pr- practitioner first and foremost. I'm an academic at heart in that I want to understand the research, understand the science, understand the theory, figure out how to apply the theory. And then I'm an entrepreneur. So I started the Flourishing Center in 2008 giving courses, workshops, offerings in positive psychology, and my other academic interest, which is mind-body medicine, which is what my PhD work is in. And in 2012, I started uh, with a colleague, the uh, Certificate in Applied Positive Psychology program, giving people an opportunity to actually learn positive psychology in a systematic way. Uh, Before our trainings, the only options for people, if you wanted to learn positive psychology back then, was either go out and get a master's degree, or read a whole bunch of journal articles and occasional books that were coming out on the topic. Now there's a ton out there. You could watch YouTube videos, there's books, there's other programs out there, but we were the first to bring this to the market along with another certification at Kripalu that was started by Tal Ben-Shahar that said to people, a lot of a lot of the people that I trained already had degrees in psychology. Some of them were clinical psychologists, some of them were educators, yoga instructors, chiropractors, head of human resource developments, head principals of schools, uh, people that were passionate about basically saying, "We want to understand the science. We want to understand what is resilience. We want to understand what are character strengths. How do we work with these things?" Um, so I started to train positive psychology practitioners in helping them get the science of what some people were already doing intuitively, but get the science under their belts, help them understand how the brain works, how the body works, how behavior works, so that they can help others. And then a couple of years after that, um, after going through a whole bunch of coaching certification programs that I had been doing, um, and I had earned my MCC with the International Coaching Federation, which is a master certified coach credential. At the time, there were only about about 750 people in the world that were holding an MCC credential. I think now we might have broken the thousand person mark, but as a master certified coach, I built out our coaching training program here and have now also trained hundreds of coaches um, and uh, run an ACTP uh, I accredited program, which is an accredited coach training program, which is the highest level that they that the International Coaching Federation offers. So I'm very passionate about the craft of coaching. I think it's an art. It's a skill. It's a craft uh, that I love to empower change agents with, because when I get a lot of people come to me and say, Amelia, like I'm interested in positive psychology, but what, what does a person do with a degree in positive psychology or with a certification in positive psychology? And I always say to them, you know, both nothing and everything, because it's just a field of science. And so you kind of have to create your own career from your interest in, in the research. But the natural applications, the best applications of positive psychology is coaching consulting or teaching and so in my company the flourishing center we offer training programs in all three so we've got a coaching certification program we have programs for people who are interested in teaching positive psychology we have a small group facilitation program we've got a resilience trainer program and this upcoming march we're rolling out our first positive psychology consulting certification program as well so we really try to just be a place that people who are passionate as change agents, that they want to make a positive change in the world, could go to to learn the science, the skill, and the application, and also some of the business development support as well. Uh, Because when I say I'm a passionate preneur, I'm not just passionate about my own business as an entrepreneur, I'm really passionate about how people who want to make a positive change in the world turn their passion into a career into a sustainable career for themselves
0: wow <laughs> that's thank you i mean that's brilliant that is just uh, the most concise and uh, in-depth opening remarks i've ever uh, had on the podcast show that then that that's just like answers every question i've had and puts it all into a remarkably pretty bundle so um well, well-tied, beautiful bundle. Um, what do you can perceive then as the um, the difference? Let me just back up a minute. The the question that I've often ha- asked people, and, and I have um, come up with some answers of my own, but I want to hear it from you. In the past, when I started up doing NLP back in the 1980s, um, NLP was itself a, a study of this st- structure of subjective experience, but primarily it was done. As a therapy, you know, you, would, you do change processes with people. You do a NLP therapy with people. And actually, we use those kind of terms. Primarily, I think, because Bandler and Grinder were modeling therapists. They were modeling Fritz Perls. They were modeling Virginia Satir. You know, Fritz Perls was a Gestalt therapist. Virginia Satir was a family therapist. Then they modeled Milton Erickson, who was a you know, hypnotherapist and psychiatrist. Um, so a lot of the NLP processes came out of the therapy world. So it was natural really that it was going to be a kind of a therapeutic application of these change works that uh, they were modeling along the way, sometimes, I don't know who started it all. Do you know who started using the term specifically, but it, along the way, it became almost like um, therapy was a bad word. So people just said, uh, we're just going to do exactly the same thing, but we're going to call it coaching. So I'm doing a, a coaching process, you know, and, and people have these, um, coaching certifications that that are basically kind of nlp therapy situations but they, they call it coaching so for you coming from this background of positive psychology and by the way i read both of mark Sutherman's books that you've mentioned the um, positive the learned helplessness and learned optimism fantastic stuff really fantastic um but for you coming from that background What do you think is the difference between being a psychologist or being a psychotherapist and being a coach?
1: that's such a great question and one that i go into a lot of detail uh, typically in describing but i'm going to summarize it here and if people are interested in this i did a i have an online course on my website if you go to theflourishingcenter.com under other programs um, you'll see that there's a course on demystifying the coaching process um, because this happens all the time people get confused what's the difference between coaching and therapy i actually cringe inside when some people think of coaching as just a blanketed, more acceptable therapy, which is, and, and the reason for that is, from my perspective, they are completely different skills. So first and foremost, ideally, what you're looking at is the difference between a clinical practice and a non-clinical population. So therapists are trained in being able to diagnose and work with disease and dysfunction. Coaches should not be Working in that realm because that's not what they go have been trained in. So when I train positive psychology practitioners, which by definition are people who are learning how to practice the science of human flourishing, which means we spend nine months studying the conditions that enable people to thrive, which is different than the conditions that we are facing when people are struggling. So I do not train my students in how to look for early warning signs of psychosis or neurosis or how to work with deep depression or schizophrenia or autism or attention deficit disorders. Um, Those are important experiences that people have and clinicians are trained as to how do you treat and how to you how do you diagnose and work with those that side of the human condition. Positive psychology comes in at the neutral when people are, are maybe showing signs of languishing and help them work towards going north of neutral by helping them identify how did they build awareness of themselves, what skills are they missing, helping them move towards high level wellness into flourishing. So first and foremost, that's the big difference. And we are basically looking to, by integrating positive psychology into even traditional psychotherapy practices, we're trying to build on the concept of the, the wellness model rather than the disease model. So the disease model was one where we were trying to fix to get back to neutral the wellness model which is the big shift that's happening in our world says well why stop at neutral so therapists might come to my training and and learn positive psychology so that they can work with a clinical population but not stop at neutral so once they've helped a person get out of their deep depression they don't have to stop there they can also help them figure out what will give their life meaning and purpose and what are their goals and what do they want to achieve and the lines are starting to get blurred because now there are actually forms of therapy being created that are pulling from the constructs of coaching which is its own field that actually started with thomas leonard Uh, Once upon a time, and they're starting to create things like solution focused therapy, where the therapist is actually asking, well, what do you want. And so, in summary, one of the big ways that coaches and therapists are different is because of the populations that they should be working with and that they're qualified to work with therapists can learn to work the whole spectrum. But coaches, ideally, with most most coaching programs, should not be working with clinical populations. That they should understand their scope of practice. They should know when they are to refer out. Uh, I'm I'm not. I personally am not qualified to work with people who are in a state of dysfunction. Although I've worked alongside other therapists. If let's say I've worked with a client who had. Um, borderline personality disorder. And she worked with her therapist on the things that in the ways in which that borderline personality disorder manifests and having social issues and low boundaries, yet she would work with me on her goals to still identify what's going to bring her what, what kind of meaningful work could she do in the world and how to identify what she needs to do to take care of herself and self care strategies and goal setting. So one of the other ways that sometimes people differentiate the difference between coaching and therapy is that therapy sometimes has this fixing mentality of fixing what's wrong or understanding what's wrong as though by understanding what has impacted you in the past and how it's impacting you today will be sufficient to move you forward coaching says rather than asking why we say what's next it's not that we don't care about the past when i'm working with my clients and when i'm training my coaches there is an appropriate way of, of understanding the past, but we understand the past so that we can move forward. Whereas some particularly like old school forms of therapy, it was enough if you just have this catharsis of talking about how you feel or what's coming up for you. So by definition, I tell my students that it is not a coaching session if it doesn't have the four A's. The four A's of a coaching session, you need an agenda for your coaching session, which means you're looking for what does the client want and need that they don't yet have. We have to bridge a gap in coaching between where are they and where do they want to go. If it's just to show up and talk about where are they and how they feel and what's coming up in their life or where they have been, it's not coaching. Not saying that it's necessarily therapy because some therapists may not want to work that way, but every coaching session needs an agenda. Every coaching session should build awareness for the client. The client should have aha moments. They should be uncovering. They should be learning more about themselves, how they see the world. They should be creating that that, that value for themselves. Every coaching session needs action, meaning if all we do is we have a really great conversation and my client's like, wow, I learned a lot. That was great. But they're not necessarily going to take action. There's not things that they're going to move forward on. It's missing a key component of what a coaching session is all about. So I always look to get action. What are you gonna do differently as a result of this conversation? And then the fourth A, which is accountability. What's gonna help you do it? So coaching is its own skill set. It's its own art. And it does sometimes get confused with therapy because we're talking and I'm asking you questions and I'm listening deeply as your coach and doing these things that might seem like therapy. However, they are fundamentally different. And that difference shows up when you're actually experiencing coaching. And then there's degrees even within coaching of how to what I call uh, how to do what I call master level coaching. The International Coaching Federation, which is sort of the the crediting body, in the field of coaching identifies three different levels of coaching they call it the acc level the pcc level and the mcc level the acc is a a associated um, coach professional coach is the pcc and then the master level coach and um and i you know one of the big differences between a master level coach and a beginner level coach is that master level coaches let the client lead the dance the master level coach is not giving advice not telling the client what to do they're really co-creating and holding the container for the client's wisdom to come out and then if you if your client is exha- exhausted their resourcefulness in terms of what they're thinking you can add in your ideas you can add you can make suggestions you can offer books you can offer skills but it starts with the client first and that's such an essential difference and i think misunderstanding that people get when they go to see a coach, like sometimes they think that they're going to go see a consultant. A consultant takes in information and gives you advice. It's based on my professional opinion, based on this, you know, data that you've given me, here's what you should do. Um, So coaching is not about giving advice. It's not consulting. It's different than mentoring. Uh, And so when I train my coaches, I help them delineate that all the different approaches between healing, teaching, consulting, mentoring, counseling being a therapist they're all different things that we can do they're different ways that we can serve but from my perspective coaching is one of the hardest (laughs) and most profound approaches for how to help people it's way easier to teach someone or just tell them what to do it's easier to kind of counsel them Um, but when you learn the craft of coaching it is uh, one of the most rewarding ways to help a person get from where they are to where they want to be. And it's empowering for them. It's life giving for you as the coach. And it is a field that I'm, I'm ec- like exponentially passionate about.
0: Oh, cool. Again, again, I say, wow, <laughs> been very, very amazing. Thank you. A remarkable answer. I would just like to say from my perspective that um a lot of the solution-oriented therapy types of approaches come also from the field of Ericksonian hypnotherapy. But Erickson often said that, uh, you know, true healing in the psychotherapy world did not come from looking back in the past. He referred that to that as psychological archaeology. He said, you know, it's interesting, it's inform- informative, but it's not what's going to cause you to get to where you want to go. He was always future-oriented in solution-oriented oriented. And I think that's where NLP got that kind of mode as well. Again, um, something you said resonated very strongly with something else I've, I've said a few times, uh, a few million times in my training world, is that, you know, psychology asks why? Why are, are you this way? Why did this happen this way? Why did it manifest? And and the idea is if you find that insight, then things will change. But they don't necessarily. They They often make a person just very conversational about their problems. They can describe it in, in great yeah. detail. But NLP wants to know, like, how, how are we going to change? How are we going to get from here to where we want to go? You know, wh- how are we going to do that? What is the outcome? What is the target we're shooting for and how are we going to make that happen? So I think there's a lot of overlap there, which is a beautiful thing for me to be hearing from you. I, by the way, also studied with Thomas Leonard. I met him like 1993 Mm -hmm. Um, at a conference that I was attending. I I thought he was crazy. I thought with coaching, what's that all about? Nobody would ever do that. You know, it just didn't, but I liked Mm -hmm. him so much. I said, well, let me, let me sign up for his, you know, coaching one, two, three program or whatever and see what it was like. And so I spent a lot of time on the phone with him after that, because that's how he taught there was before the internet, you know, so it was telephone coaching. It was really amazingly exciting times. And, the way your approach to this is so, like I said before, so uh, comprehensive, so complete. It's just it's just really exciting. You must be teaching some great coaches there at the Flourish Center. And by the way, I love the name. The Flourishing Center is just a fantastic name. I love Thank that. Thank you. That's such a descriptive, in in a nutshell, It'll, you know, that's how you do this. You flourish from your center, and this is the center mm-hmm. from which you do it. Um, tell me more about what you think a person needs to have as an essential skill for them to individually be a a great coach? Mm,
1: Such a great question. Um, Thank you for saying so. The way that I think about coaching, I actually think of it as three balls that you juggle. And so each of those three balls represents the most essential skills. So may I do three instead of (laughs) one? (laughs) I have a a hard time. I'm also someone who has a hard time picking favorites. People ask me like, "What's your favorite cuisine?" I'm like, "I don't have just one." What's your favorite song? I don't have just one. It's my favorite, you know, essential skill. There's three, Uh, and the reason I I really love this model of of that I've created around these three skills is because. I feel that these are the three things that make for a master coach and that the difference between a beginner coach that learns these three skills and a master level is just being able to do these three things exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. And so you can have someone who's just sort of basically juggling three balls, or you can see um, someone like Chris Bliss, who's this master juggler Mm -hmm. that can do this remarkable awe inspiring breathtaking performance with just three balls he's captivating and so when i train our students i use this as a metaphor because it can seem so simple and if you know how to juggle with three balls you're like yeah this is easy but then you watch someone like chris in action you're like whoa Hmm. all the things you could do with the basics and like most things most zen principles are It's really about the basics and and simplifying it. So those three things I refer to as the one, the coach's mindset, two, active listening, and three is powerful solution focused questioning. So I believe that coaching starts with the skill of holding the coach's mindset. And unlike the therapeutic mindset or the diseased mindset, which is that I am here to fix something that is broken. I am here to heal dysfunction, whether it be because I'm a medical doctor, whether it be because I'm a healer, whether it be because I am a consultant for a company coming in to figure out where are we having revenue issues. There's this model that something is broken and it is my job to fix it. The coach's mindset I believe the, the mindset that I believe a coach should hold in order to be the most effective coach, I draw on from Eastern traditions and within within Tantra, there in Tantra Yoga, there is a concept that has always resonated so deeply with me, and the word is called purna, and purna means fullness. And the concept of fullness, of completeness, of wholeness is one of the elements in Tantra of the divine. And because it's the element of the divine, it's also what's true of us. And it's this idea that life is whole. The individual is whole. Things are not broken, needing fixing. Mm-hmm. The, the same way nature is full and whole, it knows how to create seasons that, you know, with the winter comes the spring and from spring comes summer and then leaves start to fall and fall and and we just sort of do the whole thing all over again. There's a natural perfection and wholeness. We apply that same concept of wholeness to life and to ourselves. And for the way that this is translated, the words porna can translate into I have within me all that i need and all that i have i need if i'm trusting in fullness i have to say you know i'm whole i'm not broken even with these things that i'm missing in life all these things i'm waiting for it's so easy to get caught up in there's something wrong with me as opposed to like i'm full i'm whole i may have things i want to improve on in my life but i'm not broken and i believe that when a coach goes into a coaching session holding that mindset, they're able to say, my client has within me, within them, all that they need and all that they have, they need. And this lens as a coach just transforms how you approach the coaching session. You're not going into the session thinking, my poor client and all the issues they're having, how am I going to help them? How am I going to fix it for them? And it's on you. You're believing that, hey, this isn't a problem that they're facing. It's an opportunity. They somehow need this, it's somehow on their path. It's gonna, we're gonna treat it as that. We're not gonna treat it as a problem. And then you're also coming at them from the place of wholeness, which the CTI, the coaching training institute, who's responsible for the coactive coaching model, calls clients naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. So that's right up there with that model because when you believe in porna, it's like my client has the answers within them, or they need they need something within them in order to move forward and it's present and my job as the coach is to help them tap that thing so if we don't hold a coach's mindset we may we hold the the fixing mindset we've we hold the brokenness mindset it's our job to fix it it puts pressure on us as the coach it puts us into advice giving mode trying to add value to the client in any way that we can but it really can take us out of the seat of being a powerful coach. So everything starts with the coach's mindset, from my perspective. It's the most important skill set. If you don't have that, it'll impact your listening. If you don't have that, it'll impact your questioning. So it starts there. And then we train listening. So the second essential skill set is active listening, uh, teaching people how to listen, not just to what the client is saying, but listening for the greater meaning and purpose underneath what they're saying, learning to listen with all of ourselves as the coach, listening with intuition, listening with heart, listening for nonverbals, um, metaphors, deep, deep listening to our clients. And all coaches know that you train your ear you train your ear, you train your body as the vessel through which information is being processed so that you can serve your clients more. And this one of the things I love about coaching as well is that my capacity to be trained as a coach helps me be a better friend, helps me be a better partner, helps me be a better family member because who can't benefit from learning to listen better, from learning how to be comfortable with silence, really helping people feel felt, It's one of my little things around listening. It's like, how do you know that you're really listening to a person? The person feels felt. They feel like you get me. You're really listening to me. You're with me, right? And it's such a gift we give people. That's the second skill set a third skill set for coaches the most essential uh, in this this little bundle is then being able to ask powerful solution focused questions so like you said therapists might be asking the question why so why do you feel that way why do you think that happened why 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 can be an, a why question can be good however it's rarely sufficient to truly tap um, what the person needs in order to make to move forward why questions often can put people on a defensive and, you know, why are you so depressed? Here's why I'm depressed, you know? Um, So why questions are not as powerful as what and how questions. Um, Learning how to ask questions that broaden your client and let them lead the dance that that put it back on them to decide where the coaching session is going so it really is a dance where your client is leading and you're following them and a lot of us when we're not trained in asking questions will ask do you is there have you type of questions and those types of questions are usually us coming up with ideas for the client. They're leading questions as opposed to asking your client what my friend uh, Christopher Carter refers to as a powerful question, which is when you ask your client a what or how question that neither you nor them know the answer to.
0: Mm.
1: You know, if you already know what the answer is, then it's a leading question. Then Mm. you shouldn't ask it as a question. You should just offer it as a reflection. Or if you're asking them a question that they already know and you're the only one learning as a coach, it's not a powerful question. Mm. A powerful question is a drop the mic kind of question. It's given all of this, what are you going to do differently? It's what needs to change? It's what does life want of you right now? You know, it's it's those questions that are like phew, really powerful questions um, that when we are in a problem ourselves that we're very rarely asking ourselves and so that's where coaching brilliance comes in that we as coaches can offer our clients this so i think those are the three essential skills um, to how coaches work the coach's mindset active listening powerful solution focused questions and then the four a's of what makes coaching what makes a coaching session a coaching session that you need to have an agenda that you need to have awareness, action, and accountability.
0: For the third time today, I would just like to say, wow, that's that's great. No, that's really remarkably concise. So I will just leave it there because I have no follow-up questions to that. That's just great. Um, Except I do have one other question that I traditionally ask everyone who's been on this podcast thus far, at least. And that is, um, what essential skill do you think is important or essential for a person to be able to make a living as a coach that, you know, you are an entrepreneur as well as everything else. So again, I think you are the perfect person to be asking this question too. So what is essential for a person to be able to to apply their trade, to be a successful coach?
1: Yeah, I think as far as a skill goes, you know, I I would say like how is a skill different than maybe a mindset? Uh, You know, there's like we could talk about like what's the mindset that that an entrepreneur needs to hold in order to be a successful entrepreneur as opposed to a skill, Um, you know, because I I would I would say that communication is the essential skill, but below that capacity to have that communication skill you need to have the mindset of um, what my dear friend and colleague jonathan fields refers to as being able to be both a maker and a helper Uh, he sort of says you know there's some people in the world who are makers and there's some people in the world who are helpers and the most successful people are makers and helpers the ones that can make something that helps and serves so the some makers in the world i remember i was in a relationship with an amazing visual artist and um, engineer And metal manufacturer. And so, you know, he would manufacture furniture and and other things in order to like earn his living, but he would just as happily be a maker, his whole, all day long, you know, and he would make for the sake of making if somebody could just like give him unlimited funds, all he had to do was like, like, uh, fiddle around with, with projects and make art every day, he'd be really fulfilled and really happy. Um, And then others are people who just want to help like they they just have this wide open heart they want to serve um, but they're not really so focused on like well how do I make something in the world and the idea that if making things that help people and serve people that's what sets you up for an actual career that is satisfying and gratifying where you're solving problems that people need fixing because if you think about it everything in life is a problem solution model so you go to your your dentist because you have a dental problem. You go to a lawyer because you have a legal problem. You go to a mechanic because you've got a car problem. The most essential thing for coaches to be able to communicate is what are the problems that I uniquely solve for people? Mm-hmm. And so the capacity to communicate that is a skill. And it takes time. Sure, you can take a coaching certification program where we can say, here's how you describe the types of things that coaches do. But over time, your capacity to communicate that translates into, can you communicate that in a coaching consultation when you're on the phone with a new client that's interested in coaching? Can you communicate that in the copy on your website? Can you communicate that through the classes that you teach? By the way, I offer coaching. So the skill is communication, but the underlying mindset is to hold this idea that I'm both a helper and a maker. And that there's nothing wrong with selling, that selling is an art that's just a conversation between here are the types of solutions that I offer in the world and do my solutions match up to the problem that you're having? So making it a very simple mindset of making and helping, can I identify how I'm here to help and what can I make to reflect that that offers that in the world? So I think we need both a mindset. I think it, with all things, we always need to juggle a mindset and a skill set. So even my example of the three balls, we hold a coaching mindset, and that supports the skill set of asking questions and listening in a very specific way.
0: Right. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. The, um, the idea of, of a person juggling balls, it reminds me a little bit about being a coach, because there are so many different things one needs to do in order to be you know, successful, you need to be able to listen actively, you know, everything that you've mentioned, obviously, but um, I've seen a lot of people who go into the field of coaching, or, you know, NLP therapy, whatever you might want to call it, who expect that once they get the certification, once they get the, the little signed piece of paper, that um, the world will beat a path to their door, and, you know, they can quit their job as a Know, legal secretary or whatever and, and just say, I'm a NLP practitioner now. Um, and it just doesn't work that way. And throughout one's career, one needs to be continually, you know, reinventing and, and rebranding, remarketing. You know, COVID-19 has shown us how we have to, you know, change things around in order to to stay adapting to the way the, the world is now. Um, but there's a lot of skills that 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 go into this whole world of being a, an entrepreneur, of, of bringing yourself up. Um, I remember a book, frankly, not the greatest book in the world, but the, idea, the essential idea within it is brilliant, called uh, The E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerber, where he says, you know, a person who starts a business is not necessarily an entrepreneur. They can be quickly become an overworked technician because they, they want to be that builder. They want to be the person who's, you know, doing the mechanics on the automobiles, but they now suddenly have to do with the bookkeeping, the advertising, have to do all these things. They become an overworked technician. So to be an entrepreneur really is a, a juggling act that requires us to have several different hats and to be good at them. And also to, you know, as you said before, with uh, when it comes to therapy versus coaching, when to refer out. Um, some things in in the entrepreneurial world, as an example you you, you refer out and an entrepreneur, according to michael gerber 's definition, somebody who creates systems then hires people to do that particular job you know to do the bookkeeping or to, to do the marketing or do the cleaning up and then the entrepreneur creates the systems where that runs and can be replicated for instance, in 12 locations throughout the U.S. and Canada. Um, as an example, which I think you at one point, the Flourishing Center, had that prior to COVID. you were in 12 cities. So um, awesome, awesome stuff. Is there anything else you want to say in closing? I know people can find you online at theflourishingcenter.com. Is there anything else we should know about you, Amelia, and how people can find? Because, my God, this I'm going to re-listen to this podcast and take notes on it. It's just absolutely filled with incredibly valuable information and I'm deeply grateful and I'm really excited about (laughs) learning from it and applying it myself. So is there anything else you want to add to this incredible wealth you've given us already?
1: Yeah, thank you. The one thing I would say is um, the Flourishing Center podcast has five different types of episodes in there, Uh, what I call the practitioner profiles, um, science says, we've got a real-time resilience one. And then one of them is actually called Coach's Corner. And if you're interested in hearing master level coaching be done, what those uh, podcast episodes are, are just pure coaching sessions. So there are people who volunteer to let me coach them in exchange for recording it and uh, making it available to people, because I think one of the best ways to learn coaching is to hear it. And so if you're interested in hearing coaching sessions and mm-hmm. the little archive that I've created of them, feel free to also check out the Flourishing Center under podcast and then type in or click the link for Coach's corner to get those examples.
0: Wow, that sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm going to be going there soon. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, gosh, it's so nice to see you, although I'm far away in upstate New York and you are in the city at the Flourishing Center, which I recognize so nicely. Um, I see your little dog in the background too. She's looking well.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com.